Hey, this is Max, and welcome to the Ronin System Podcast. Today's episode is more of a continuation of last week's episode, where I was kind of on a rant about uh, jiu-jitsu and the structure and all that. So this week, um, I've had time to process what I was thinking, and also just read up a little bit more on on, uh, on Reddit, and just really see kind of kind of what I was really talking about. And from what I can tell, there's a, there's still a lot of those those issues that should be so- solved like right at the front of the door when people walk in or right when they sign up, because those things it's just like I mean it's just like school you know you walk into school and you know exactly what's going to happen. Same thing for jujitsu you should know what's going to happen, but most times at most places it it doesn't really work that way. You know there's there's going to be people that help you out yes and people that'll answer your questions no problem, but then they don't they they shouldn't really be in a situation where you should ask those questions, you know, there should be like a pamphlet or something or or just like an instructional where they tell you, you know, all the different things that you need to do to prepare and all the different things that you need to uh, ensure that you're doing and and ensure that you're not doing, you know, things like making sure you clip your nails or making sure you you leave your ego at the door or things like that. But then then we can step a little bit further into uh, more of the politics of it. And yes, there are very deep politics in jiu-jitsu. Ask any any higher belt, and they can tell you that there's there's going to be issues, um, especially black belts. If you ask the, uh, the right black belt, they're going to tell you there's a lot of drama, and there's a lot of uh, sort of like pride and, and ego, and a lot of things that jiu-jitsu just shouldn't stand for, you know. And there's there's a lot of things that just kind of are kind of contradictory and counterintuitive to what jiu-jitsu is, you know. For a, a huge example, the Gracie family. Uh, the Gracies, if you don't know, are like pretty much they're they're like the royalty of jujitsu. They're they are the founders of jujitsu. It's it's all started with this uh, group of brothers, you know, Elio, Carlos, um, Oswaldo, George, and I can't remember the fifth one, but you know, all all of those brothers, they're the ones that basically founded what jujitsu is, and you know, Brazilian jujitsu, or originally what they wanted to call it was Brazilian judo, but Basically, what it is, is, you know, it's built on the idea that a smaller man can beat a larger man based on technique and and skill alone. You know, and Elio was small. Elio, I think, was like 125, like 5'4 or something. And that's pretty small by our standards today. But the thing was, you know, he he really developed that style, like the ground fighting style from judo. And, you know, judo did have ground fighting. Judo did concentrate on ground fighting. But the reason he developed it was because a lot of his training partners were bigger than him. A lot of his training partners were too big. Like his brothers were, I think, like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, so they were bigger than him, a lot bigger. So it was difficult for him to actually continue to do judo in the terms of what it actually is. Like high-intensity throws and, and a lot of pressure, a lot of a lot of strength, a lot of top control, things like that. So Elio just kind of developed the style for the smaller man. And a lot of people, they'll come into jiu-jitsu or, or praise and preach jiu-jitsu that it's for the smaller man. But right now, it's at the point where there's so many people that do jiu-jitsu, it's difficult for the smaller man to just use technique and skill alone. You know, they're going to need something else. They're going to need some athleticism. They're going to need some strength. They're going to need some timing. They're going to need some aggressiveness. They're, they're going to need a lot more things to make them more effective if they're going against someone of the same size. You know, for example, if... If some some guy who's like pretty much the size of Elio at that time decided to do jiu-jitsu, he would not be able to beat me just because I am I'm more skilled than him. But let's say there's a guy that's um more skilled than me, but he's that size. I'm pretty sure I could go toe to toe with him because I have the size advantage. 
I'm a, I'm bigger than him. I'm stronger than him. I'm faster than him. I have advantages that allow me to equate to that skill. You know, it allows me to neutralize the skill. And, you know, the reason I bring that up is because, you know, a lot of white belts, they'll come in, a lot of beginners, they'll come in and they just instinctively use their size, their strength. You know, they sort of muscling things, they start spazzing out and it's completely natural. There's a lot of people that still do that. And the thing is, you know, instructors, they should be teaching them that, hey, look, do this technique, but do it slow, do it gently and just keep drilling it. You know, there's there's no need to, to, to roll. A lot of people think that, you know, rolling is, is basically our version of sparring. There's no need for that, especially a white belt. You know, maybe for competition, yes. But especially in like the first month or two, you do not need to roll. You, you probably shouldn't even roll because then you don't know how much force you need to apply to your techniques. You don't know if you even need to apply force to the techniques. And a lot of times you don't. A lot of times those techniques can be done without any energy exertion. It can be done without any strength, and that's the idea. But people forget about that because, oh, you need to compete, or, oh, you need to have proper application of it before you even learn the technique. And it's just, it's not right. And then we get into a, a more, again, political topic where the, the mentality that you're supposed to have, you know, certain gyms, they'll enforce the mentality of, of constant competition. They'll enforce the mentality of constant aggression. And the idea that jujitsu is for savages. You know, jiu-jitsu is for everyone, yes. Jiu-jitsu is built around the idea that anyone can do it. But there are certain schools where it's like, you know, it is for everyone to start off. But then over the course of time, it's only for the rare savages. And yes, it is. But that's because people quit. That's because their lives change. You know, they're, that's because they have stressors. That's because, you know, maybe they're not enjoying it. There are different reasons why people quit. But it is still for everyone. You know, at the end of the line... Not every single black belt or brown belt or whatever are savages. You know, not every single person at the highest level is going to be a dick, is going to be a, a huge, really good competitor. You know, it's not it's not like that. They're still just everyday people. There's a lot of black belts out there that live normal lives, nine to five jobs. You know, they have families and walking down the street. You couldn't even tell that they were a jujitsu black belt. You couldn't even tell that they could probably choke your ass out, you know, and then People have this idea, especially in jiu-jitsu, where like the top guys, they just look like they're the top guys. They just look like they are going to fuck you up. And I think it really stems from the idea that in the beginning, the Gracies and all their, you know, their cousins and their family and friends, all of them, they, they were mean muggers. You know, they look like thugs. And it was basically because of their where they lived and, and how their time was, because this was during like the 1920s in Brazil when there was a lot of violence in the streets, there's a lot of gangs, you know, there's a lot of turf wars, and you just needed to look tough. You needed to look like you were you were gonna mess someone up if if given the opportunity. And, you know, the the Gracies, they were a little bit more well off at the time, but it didn't really matter because it was still a wild time. It was basically like the Wild West almost. And so if you look at like the old pictures of uh, the Gracies or even like Judokas and all that none of them are really smiling. None of them are really having this this kind of happy-go-lucky, carefree kind of attitude to them. They all look like they were about to throw down. They all look like they were about to just, you know, start a fight. And of course, you know, they stayed with the idea that jiu-jitsu is for the humble guy. Jiu-jitsu, it builds humility. It builds character. And it does. But the persona that they gave, gave off at that time didn't. And when you look at history, they basically enforced the idea 
that jujitsu was the pinnacle of martial arts. It was the pinnacle of fighting. And, you know, they, they fought a lot in Brazil. They would show off. They would go to other dojos, basically like a dojo rush. And um, the idea of a dojo rush is you walk into another school, you challenge the instructor, you challenge whoever's in charge. And if you beat them, you basically take their students. You know, they were, they were basically pillagers of modern times. And dojo rushes don't really happen anymore just because it's just kind of uncivilized and also a little bit stupid because then, you know, it doesn't really prove anything. It just proves that you're kind of a dick. Uh, but really, it, it, no one really talks about that. They don't really talk about the, the fact that they actually went out there and just challenged complete random people to fights. And most of the times, they racked up their records um, to insane, insane limits. You know, some of them, they, they talk about having like 600 plus matches and have losing like maybe like one or two, or if, if any. You know, like Hicks and Gracie, who's one of the Gracies, probably one of the best Gracies of that time, actually is reported to having 400 grappling matches and have lost none of them. You know, he hasn't tapped in ever. And that just, it's kind of mind-blowing because then like, what are you counting as a match? Are you rolling with like a white belt and counting that? Because that's kind of insane. And another thing about that is that doesn't really seem very humble because you're you're basically bragging. You're bragging about the fact that you're undefeated. And again, it kind of gives off this this contradicting mentality, this contradicting uh, ideology that you know jujitsu is for the humble man, but also it's the most effective martial art on the planet. You know, it it just doesn't really work out that way. And you know, they they say history is written by the winners, you know, it's written by the victors. And it's true, because there wasn't really many people out there that could challenge jiu-jitsu. There weren't really many grappling schools out there that could challenge the power of jiu-jitsu. Like, um, if, if you look at really the history of judo, when Jigoro Kano was sending out his, basically his ambassadors all around the world, those ambassadors were challenged by wrestlers, they were challenged by other grappling arts. Um, and if they beat them, of course, they were validated. But when they came to the places like the U.S. or the U.K. and they, they saw wrestlers, it was tough to beat them because a lot of the judo guys, they were older. You know, a lot of the judo guys, they weren't really competing as much. Um, and so there was also an issue against wrestlers because wrestlers have a lower stance. They don't wear keys, so you can't really throw them um, in judo. And so they were just getting beat. They were getting laid out, and they were getting pinned and things like that. And it, it was just, a, it was a mess. It was a really confusing time. And judo was kind of invalidated here in the U.S. because of that. But in Brazil, it caught like, it caught like wildfire because no one was really doing that ground fighting thing. You know, no one was really doing that grappling thing. And the Gracies actually started doing judo because they had the money to pay for it. And a lot of people think that the Gracies were trained by the legend uh, Count Kalma, Mitsuyo Maeda. And Mitsuyo was basically... A legend, like a living legend at that time. He was one of the best grapplers on the planet, and he was so skilled that you know people. They once they heard his name, they knew who he was, and he would do like shows, he would do events, he would do like seminars, and a lot of people think that he was the one that personally trained the Gracies, but he wasn't. You know, he did live in Brazil, and he was basically a nationalized uh, Brazilian. So you know, a lot of people think that oh, he must have been the guy, but he really wasn't. You know, there was other people out there like Yakeo Tano, you know, other high-level Japanese judokas that came to Brazil to train. They came to Brazil to teach. And the Gracies trained under them. You know, there's there's no evidence that 
Mitsuyo even met the Gracies. You know, the Gracies, of course, have seen his matches and all that, and that's fine and dandy. But, you know, the the reason I'm bringing this up is because this was something that was told to me, and it could be 100% wrong. You know, it's, it's probably not accurate at all because it was a story told to me by, by my professor, and it was a story told to him by his professor and so on. And so that's the thing that I've, I have trouble with because there's no structure to it. Lineages can be different, and lineage is basically your path back to the Gracies. And so the issue is, we all trace back to the Gracies, yes, of course. But the thing is, the Gracies, they have such a strange way of telling stories. You know, a lot of people think they were just kind of like compulsive liars, like pathological liars. You know, they're always trying to boast themselves up. They're always trying to like stay humble, but actually be prideful at the same time. You know, it was a lot of pride and promotion at that time. And so for some reason, they just stuck with Maeda. And whereas they ignore others like uh, Yakeo or uh, Ogani, I think his name was, but a lot of other Japanese guys that they kind of ignore. And even their own, like, their own countrymen, their own Brazilians, because there's this guy named Jacinto Ferro, who is also the one of the guys that trained Gracie. You know, one of the guys that actually brought judo to Brazil. And more of a modern look at that is the UFC. You know, if you don't know what the UFC is, it's basically like an MMA um, organization. And it was started by the Gracies. It was started by Hori and Gracie. And basically what it was, was people thought it was just a way for martial arts to basically have hybrid matches, like ability to fight other martial arts. Like if karate went against Taekwondo or if wrestling went against Shudo or Jiu Jitsu, who would win? But in reality, it was actually a show match for the Gracies because originally they wanted, um, I think it was Helson, Helson Gracie to compete. But Helson was older, so they had Hoist. Hoist Gracie is basically a legend in the UFC. And it was because of the fact that the Gracies wanted to show off jiu-jitsu. It was because of the fact that no matter what martial arts signed up, they knew they were going to win. And they did. They won, I think, two out of the first four tournaments, which is really good. But the thing was, you know, it was it was designed not to be like, oh, which martial art is best? It was designed to be, hey, this is Jiu-Jitsu. This is how good it is. And it started in the early 90s, uh, the UFC, I think like 1993. But this was at a time when wrestling was still about the pin. It was still about points. It wasn't about submissions. And that caught on later because of Jiu-Jitsu. You know, guys like Ken Shamrock or Dan Servan, these guys that came up from wrestling learning submission holds because they were basically forced to because they had to adhere to different rules. You know, there was no such thing as a pin in the UFC. And the idea behind that was so that jiu-jitsu could be showed off. You know, most guys at that time who did jiu-jitsu wanted to be on their backs. And guess what? If you are on your back in wrestling, that's a pin. So they basically avoided that situation that judo had an issue with. So it was validated. Jiu-jitsu was validated because of the UFC. And, you know, a lot of people think that the UFC was designed to be sort of that who's the greatest martial art or what is the greatest martial art, sorry, is in the world. And it really wasn't. It was designed to show off jiu-jitsu. And again, this could be 100% false because this was a story told to me. And here's the thing. That's, that's kind of a problem because then you have all these different people saying, oh, no, this happened or that happened or this didn't happen or that didn't happen. And it's all really confusing. And it's it's basically, again, like the Wild West. You know, it's so hard to tell what's right and what's wrong. 
And if you want to get even further with that and dig a little deeper and again into the politics of it, jujitsu was designed to be basically structureless. You know, a lot of people will look at it and say that there is structure because there's belts. But really, when you think about it, even the belts have an issue because, yes, for adults, it does go white, blue, purple, brown, black. And then, you know, eventually you're going to get like an alternating red and black belt called a Koro belt, or you're going to end up with just the red belt. And no one really gets the red belt. That's been confirmed. No one really gets past that point because it's, it's meant for the people at the pinnacle of the art. And by pinnacle, they basically mean the people that have so much influence or so much history that they just have to be red belts. But there were other martial arts like Taekwondo, like Karate, like Judo that also do belts. And they also have the same blue, purple, brown, and black. But to differentiate it, Jiu-Jitsu added a little, a little bar, a little strip, a little sleeve, whatever you want to call it. And for most belts, it's going to be black. And for red belts, it's red. Or for uh, black belts, it's red. But the issue is there are blue belts, purple belts, and brown belts that have red bars. And there are black belts that have white bars. You know, And people will say, oh, the bar is to signify what rank you want to achieve. So for most belts, you know, white to brown is going to be a black belt because you want to achieve a black belt. And then for the black belt, you want to achieve a red belt, so it's a red belt. But for the certain blues and browns and purples, they want to be red belts too. So they have a red bar to signify that they want to be red belts. Or other schools will tell you that that's actually there because that certain you know student is also an instructor. They're a junior instructor. You know, they teach kids classes or they teach, um, you know, like Saturday classes, whatever. They teach classes. That's why they have a red bar. And they attach it to the fact that black belts with white bars have that white bar because they're not instructors or they're competitors. You know, it's, it's different. And it really depends on who you ask. Some people will say it's because they're instructors. Other people will say it's because they're competitors. Still, other people will say, that's absolute bullshit. No black belt has a white bar, and you shouldn't have a white bar. So there's just so much controversy and issue with it that really is not even there. It's just it's just like these little minute things that if you bring it up, it brings up a discussion. And still, even further than that, there are some original Gracie schools and even original Gracies like Hoist Gracie who don't even give out regular belts. You know, they give out... Um, I think Hoist does white belt to light blue belt to eventually a navy blue belt or midnight blue belt. And that's because originally that was Elio's style. Elio designed it to be white, light blue, navy blue. And Elio even wore navy blue belts for a long, long time. And Hoist still wears navy blue belts. And sometimes he'll even promote you know, black belts with a navy blue bar or navy blue belts with a black bar it's, it's it's all really confusing and that's a kind of like a isolated incident because only the graces are allowed to do that but you still have issues where you know there's going to be random guys here in the u.s who have navy blue belts or uh, midnight blue belts and say that they're a legitimate black belt from hoist gracie and the only reason they wear this color is because they were promoted by hoist gracie but that's a huge issue because you can't validate that. You can't just call up Hoist and be like, hey, Hoist, do you know so-and-so? I mean, technically you could, but 
it's not like we have on speed dial and it's not like he's going to answer. And here's another issue with the belts because with the bar, it's only on one side. And because it's only on one side, there have been arguments about which side it should be on. And with a structured organization that I'm under, my professor and his professor before, before him has said that the bar should be on the left side because it signifies a sword ready to be drawn. And most people draw their sword with their right hand. So you draw the sword from the left side. Basically, it's like a katana for a samurai. But other schools, they'll just say, it's just a fucking bar. You know, put it wherever you fucking want, you know. And even other places will be like, you're tying it wrong or you should be tying it this way or it should it should only, you know, it's, it's, it's all a bunch of bullshit. If there's so much shit wrong with it. But then when you go to a judo place, they'll tell you exactly. This is where your name's supposed to go on your belt. This is how the bar is supposed to go. This is where your stripes go. You know, there's structure to it. But then in jiu-jitsu, there's no fucking structure. You know, it just depends on who you're under. And even then... You know, I currently train in a place where they don't give a shit where the bar goes, but it's the same professor that I'm I'm under. And so it's it's really weird. It's really difficult to tell. It's it's just there's just no fucking structure to it, not even at that level. And the thing is, the reason I'm getting kinda heated about this is because I mean, I don't really care. I'm just gonna follow the instruction from my professor because A, he's my professor, and B, he's my professor. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pay attention to what he says. But the thing is, you know, people will bring it up and just be adamant that their point is the right point, that their point is the correct point, you know, and it's it's just not. You just don't know because there's no structure to it. You know, you can tell me all about the history that you want, but that may not be the history that I know. And I will do my best to do my research to make sure that I know. And I have. And I, I, I'll tell you this. It's all confusing as fuck. There's so many sources out there that have contradicting points, and there's so many people out there that will tell you one thing when it really could be another thing. So it's just so hard to get the facts right in jiu-jitsu. But in something like judo, it's so much easier because you can just look at it and say, hey, judo was started from jiu-jitsu, and jiu-jitsu was designed for the samurai. And it was because Jigoro Kano wanted a more civilized and, and urban martial art to practice something more of, you know, kind of like um like an internal martial art, something that you can actually like a lifestyle. That was his philosophy behind it. And Jigoro Kano created the Kodokan, and he created rank structure, and he created set technique lists for set ranks, and he did all this stuff that was revolutionized. But then you have other people like um, I think his name is Masa Masasuke Masasuke something who created more ranks. And it was accepted. You know, there's there's just so much to judo that has so much structure to it. Like, you're going to learn these techniques and these days, at these times, at these ranks. But in jiu-jitsu, you know, I know some, some higher-level guys that don't even know the proper sweep mentality. They don't even know the proper guard-pulling or takedown mentality, you know? They don't know, like, really anything that they should know. And it's just, it's so difficult to understand what's actually going on in jiu-jitsu. And I could honestly go on about this topic for a lifetime because there's just so much that I have to say about it. And that's why I created two episodes on it. Um, but anyway, I, this is the end of this part, this part two. Maybe there's going to be a part three if I'm still heated about it. But, you know, for now, if you guys are regular listeners, thank you so much for the support. And if you guys are new and you haven't heard the first part, 
uh, please do subscribe and head over to the channel to see more because um, it was just like literally like last week, like last Monday. But, you know, again, thank you guys so much for the support. Thank you for continuing to listen. Have an amazing day. Get out there, get hungry and good luck.